0: Hey there, my friends. I hope everything is going well with you. This is a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. It is February 20th, 2022. And this Sunday, we continue on our series again in the series called Finding Your Keys to the Kingdom. And this Sunday's message is entitled The Exodus Kingdom. May God bless you as you listen. I remember a couple of years before I was saved. uh, Well, actually about four years. I was still in elementary school. And uh, I had a bully. Have you ever had a a bully, an enemy in your life? Nobody? Nobody else had a bully in high school or anything like that? No? Yeah? Uh, Maybe it was a boss. Any boss rivalries here? Or coworkers that have been an enemy for you? A mother in law? Let's put that one out there. Come on. (laughs) What about a God? What about a God? When I was in elementary school, my best friend Daryl all of a sudden walked up to me in the hallways of our school and said, after school, me and you are going to fight. I didn't know what we were fighting about. For me, it's not that I was a pacifist, not that that I was afraid to fight. I, I just didn't know why we were fighting. I mean, he was my best friend. But all of a sudden, he turned on me for no good reason at all that I could think of. Ends up being Kim, not a girl, by the way a boy, ends up being that Kim befriended Daryl, and he made him fight me, pick a fight with me. I told him, you know, I'm not going to fight you, Daryl, and he says, well, that's good, that'll be a quick fight then. Well, I tried to escape him, I tried to avoid him, went through a different exit after school, and finally he met up with me in the Catholic school playground across the street. Do you want to know what happened? You're all a bunch of animals. (laughs) Well, he threw the first punch in my face. I got a bleeding nose. And then after that, he left me alone because I just wouldn't fight. But I guess he drew blood. He thought it was over. But I found out that it was Kim who had actually put him up to picking a fight with me. I was a paper boy, and after school, we, all the paper boys would go directly to our little drop-off place where we would go and pick up our papers to deliver on our route. And Kim was a paper boy, too. Kim, not a girl, right? So let's just say Kim went crying all the way to my house to tell my mommy what I had done. And my mom just said, well, you must have deserved it. And she shut the door. It was awesome but that was the end of Kim and Daryl's bromance, and that was the end of us fighting. We weren't very good friends after that, but we did manage to talk to each other once in a while. You know, sometimes kingdoms need to be fought for. Sometimes we get into situations where we need to kind of rally ourselves to a challenge, and that's where we find ourselves today. We We started our discovery of the kingdom of God looking at the primordial beginnings of it in the creation of the heavens and the earth. I'll draw you right back there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God, that is the ultimate sovereign of the universe, created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters of chaos. And then after Adam and Eve's expulsion from Eden, in time, God's imagers went from bad to worse. You know the story. Track it through Genesis 3 and onward. Genesis 6, verses 5 to 7, it says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So in other words, out of the chaos waters, God brings about a creation. And through the chaos waters of the flood, God is intent on resetting that creation and bringing about righteous Noah and his family as his new imagers. And he establishes a royal covenant with them. Uh, and last week, we, we arrived in finally in Ur of the Chaldeans after him. It's in Babylonia near the headwaters of the Persian Gulf, and were introduced to a man and a woman named Abraham and Sarah. At first it was just Abram and Sarah. God changes their names later. But Abe and Sarah are surrounded by the gods of the Babylonians and the Chaldean peoples, the kingdoms. But unfamiliar to Abe and Sarah, a new god comes on the scene, a god of promises, god full of promises, a god who was named Yahweh who claimed to be the God who is above all gods, Lord above all lords, and the creator of the heavens and the earth. And it is through these two that Yahweh promises to expand his kingdom on the earth by giving Abe and Sarah much land to call their own, as well as a sea of descendants. All they had to do was look up to the stars to be reminded all of what God had promised to do with them. And it was through Abe that Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, promised to bless all the nations on the planet through Abe's son. His son was named Isaac. Now if you were to ask a Jew even today, they would start, what to describe their heritage, they would start with Father Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And then maybe somehow through the, through the generations they'd be able to track back, but in fact, You'll see this phrase repeated often in the Old Testament, that Yahweh is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's a very popular phrase. And it is through Jacob who takes his sons and their families from Canaan to Egypt because of a life-threatening famine through the land. Well, Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, through a series of events, if you know the story, coordinated by the Lord, is already in Egypt. And he's made it quite clear. He's made made quite a name for himself in Pharaoh's court. And he ends up rescuing his own family from the famine and gives them a home in Egypt. And while in Egypt, the Hebrews, of which their tribe was called, continued to grow in number. Until one day, the book of Exodus opens with this. Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 to 22. These are the names of the sons of Israel. Who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt, as I said. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied. Sound familiar? Draws us right back to creation, doesn't it? And the command to Adam and Eve. And they, they, were, they were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that they filled the land with themselves. Sound familiar? Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will even... They will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, aren't you glad you have a nice comfortable hospital bed, ladies? If it is a boy, kill him, and if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, uh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth uh, before the midwives even arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now, if you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, or the animated flick, The Prince of Egypt, you know that Moses was secretly spared through this. And then through the chaos waters of the Nile River, Moses is rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, who, even though she knows he's a Hebrew, she claims him as her own son. Now, if you read the rest of chapters 1 and 2, you see how awesome the Lord's sovereignty is is in this situation. Pharaoh's daughter unknowingly gets the baby's mother to raise him until he is weaned, so roughly about two, maybe even three years old. And then she takes him to Pharaoh's house, and there Pharaoh's daughter gives him the name Moses. Do you know what Moses means? Exodus 2 verse 10 says, she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Water was meant to kill him. Again, like before creation and flood, God is saving through the chaos waters, this time of the Nile. Now, while Moses briefly seemed to find favor and protection in the household of Pharaoh, and as such would have been elevated to like a demigod kind of a figure as the prince of Egypt, the story quickly progresses from the Nile to fleeing the kingdom of Egypt after Moses kills one of his fellow Egyptians. Then in the wilderness of Midian, he is no longer a a royal Egyptian demigod. He is now just an obscure, nameless shepherd. A man without a country. And not only that, but according to Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, he is slow of speech and tongue. In other words, he has nothing going for him, and he has no way of gaining any upward mobility in his class. And it is out of this wilderness, which is like the sea, a domain of chaos. And it is out of this wilderness, a place where gods are not. For gods hang out in gardens and on mountains and in rivers, in places flowing with milk and honey. Yet it is in the middle of the chaos that Yahweh appears to Moses. We know that is the burning bush scene. I I love the animated version of this in the movie, The Prince of Egypt. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Even if it's just on YouTube, it will move you to tears. It does me every time. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. We have God starting to speak. Moses. 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 And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. Notice this. The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. But the Lord said, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, Moses is an unusual hero. He isn't chosen because he won a contest of strength like Hercules. He, nor did he gain power by way of birthright. Instead, He is told by Yahweh that Yahweh is the I am who I am. I am who I am, Moses, verse 14 to 15. This is what you are to say to me. I am has sent me to you. Say to the Israelites, the God, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, here it is again, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Folks, like Father Abraham, all Moses had was a name. But it wasn't any name. It was the name, right? It was the name of God, the name of the God of the covenant promises, the God of the covenant of Abraham renewed through Isaac and then through Jacob. And now it is being given to Moses. In other words, God is saying he will renew his covenant promises to Israel by delivering them out of Egypt through Moses. Here is an important point from God's history with Israel. Number one, when you face chaos, remember the name that is above every name and claim it as the promise of God's presence. Let me repeat that. It's a longer one. When you face chaos, remember the name that is above every name and claim it as the promise of God's presence presence. All of us will face chaos from time to time, right? Life is not a static timeline where you just go from point A to point B. In the life that you live, you will face chaos from time to time. And what do you do when you face chaos, when you go through the chaos? Who do you turn to? Where do you turn when you're going through chaos? I've been with a lot of families who go through times of loss and death, and at those times, chaos hits the family. And you can tell which families are banking on the hope of a promised future from God, who are are leaning into the promises of of the divine presence of the Almighty in the now, even in the middle of the chaos. You can tell the families who know the name of God. It is those who call on the name of the Lord that bear up well under chaos. When you face chaos, remember the name that is above every name and claim it as his promise of his presence in your life. Maybe you're going through chaos right now. I encourage you to take some time in the next day or two to claim his name as your own. When you face chaos, remember the name that is above every name and claim it as the promise of God's presence for your life. You don't have to walk it alone. And with only the name of the Lord, Moses goes to Israel, and then he goes to Pharaoh. And what does Pharaoh say to Moses when he demands, let my people go? What does he say? Have you ever been to Sunday school or camp? Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. A little less enthusiastic than kids do it, but that's okay. <laughs> and that is the camp song, the Sunday school answer, but there's way more to the answer than just no, isn't there? Exodus 5.2, listen to what Pharaoh said. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Egypt used to be a friend of Israel. If you remember a few passages before this. When Joseph, the son of Jacob, the son, a son, was a son of Egypt. And now they have forgotten Joseph and all that he did to save them from the famine. And now they are just slave-driving bullies. But this was more than just a playground fight. This was a contest of God's. A kingdom and its gods and goddesses against the Lord, the God of Israel. A kingdom and its gods against one God, the God of Israel. Which God would prevail? The God of Israel or the gods of Egypt? And so through Moses, God unleashes his wonders on Egypt. Now the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, also in Numbers 33, 4, that the plagues that God unleashed on Egypt, that, that he gave to these people who refused, were aimed at Egypt's gods. Look at the chart of battle that we have here next. Here we've got the different plagues. The plague of blood, the goddess, gods and goddesses associated with it. Happy, the god of the, the, the Nile. Isis, the god of, goddess of the Nile. The plague of frogs, Hecate goddess of fertility, gnats or lice, Geb, the god of the earth, Set, the god of the desert, flies, whatever that is, god of creation and rebirth, livestock, pestilence, Hathor, goddess of provision and cattle, boils, Sekhmet, uh, goddess of disease, hail, uh, the goddess of the sky, nut, Locust. Seth, god of the storm, darkness, Ra, god of the sun, And notice the last one. Min is the god of reproduction. Osiris, the god of the dead. But we also have Pharaoh's own son. All firstborn Egyptian sons, even the firstborn of the cattle, were plagued to die. And against the Lord God, none of the gods of Egypt could prevent Any of these judgments. The Israelites, however, were spared from this final judgment. If they were in a house with the lamb's blood painted on the doorposts of the house. Then the angel of the Lord would pass over. Hence the name of the feast, the Passover. The angel would pass over the house, sparing whoever was inside. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 to 13. On that same night. The Lord says, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Notice that. On all the gods of Egypt. For I am the Lord. The blood of the The blood of the Paschal or Passover lamb they were to eat that night will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. But in Egypt, Pharaoh, who himself was considered a god, an inhabitation of God on earth, he too had a firstborn son. And that son too was considered a god in Egypt. Not even Pharaoh and his son Egypt's embodied deities could stand against the Lord of heaven and earth. And that one last plague would hurt Pharaoh most. Exodus 12, 29 to 32. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon. And the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go and bless me. Did you hear that last bit? And also bless me. Do you think Pharaoh finally got the point of what he was up against? I think he did. And with that final judgment, the death of the firstborn, all Israel, along with some of the Egyptians, left Egypt. And all kinds of wealth and livestock were given to the Israelites as they left. Even some of the Egyptians went with them. And they headed toward a place to worship, a new place called Mount Sinai. Interestingly, along with all the other details that Moses had to keep straight in his head with this exodus and leading a whole nation out of the gates of Egypt, he collected and carries Joseph's bones with him. Hebrews 11 gives us an insight into this, way into the future of Moses It says in chapter 11, verse 22, By faith Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Somehow, prophetically, Joseph knew, and he gave instructions about what to do with his bones. He did not want to be left in Egypt. He, too, wanted to leave with his people. Remember Joseph, the prince of Egypt, who was once who once saved all of Egypt and Israel from a famine. But Egypt had forgotten him. I kind of think maybe Israel might have too, except Moses. Well, the Lord wasn't going to forget Joseph. And he wasn't going to let Moses or Israel forget him either. This leads us to our second point. Number two, when you're surrounded by chaos, be encouraged. The Lord remembers his servants. When you're surrounded by chaos, remember and be encouraged. The Lord remembers his servants. Chaos is called chaos because it's chaotic. When you're in the middle of the chaos, you're surrounded by all kinds of details. A sea of details. A sea of choices. And usually to go in one particular direction or another. And when you're in the middle of the chaos, sometimes because it's so chaotic, you might be tempted to think that God has forgotten about you. Chaos brings that kind of fear. But remember from the history of Israel that God forgets no detail. He forgets no servant of his. So be encouraged. The Lord has not forgotten about you if you're in chaos. He has not forgotten about you. He is the God of Abraham. He is the God of isaac and he is the god of jacob and he remembers he is the god of moses and he is the god over all the chaos that is in egypt he is the lord amen Amen. and he is your god and he will never forget you either so put your faith in him and be encouraged Joseph believed the covenant promise of God to Abraham, Isaac, and his father, Jacob, and he he made an arrangement to have himself included in that promise. God is just so great with the details, isn't he? Just blows me away. Now, carrying Joseph's bones and all of Israel in tow, Moses had a few possible routes that he could have taken to get God's people to Sinai. And the mountain of God. But, but it's debated still today which way he went. But what we know for sure is that they didn't take the shorter route up through the desert of Shur to get to Canaan. He, they, they went through a different route. They went south toward the desert of Sin to get to Mount Sinai first. Yet, yes, there is a desert called Sin. But before they could go that way, there was a major roadblock ahead of them a major roadblock that prevented them from fully being delivered from Egypt. It was the Red Sea. More water. Exodus 14, 1-4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near uh, Pi-Hahorath, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Notice the Lord's strategy here. He seems to kind of enjoy doing this a bit in the Bible. He he seems to like to set up... and. Impossible circumstances which only he can deliver his people from. Abraham and Sarah were barren and they were very old, as good as dead, the scriptures tell us. Conception was impossible, except for God. Isaac, when facing a famine of his own, is forced to settle in Philistine territory. All kinds of details in there, but escape from the impossible? Except for God. Jacob, too, had to lead his family through a deadly famine. Survival, impossible? Well, except for God, right? Except for God, there are no answers sometimes. And God leads Moses and Israel up against the banks of the sea of the water that is ahead of them and a sea of armed soldiers behind them. And that is Pharaoh and his armies advancing. What are they going to do? They're stuck. Exodus fourteen fifteen. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Notice this is still a battle between gods, right? where's, Where's Israel and their army? They're not there. This is a battle between God and the gods of Egypt and now Pharaoh, the god resident in Egypt. Who will ultimately win? I'm sure the people were freaking out. Well, I know they were freaking out. The text tells us they were freaking out. But lucky for us. Lucky for us. We know the rest of the story, don't we? We can look back and, and we can calmly read this and maybe not even get that excited about it. But Exodus 14, 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Not one of them survived. Is it any wonder that Moses, when he finally reaches this other side of the sea of chaos, asks in Exodus 15 verse 11 and following, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows up your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Verse 18, the Lord reigns forever and ever. Wow. Number three. When you're hemmed in by chaos, everything may be impossible except for God. When you're hemmed in by chaos, everything may seem impossible except for God. Yeah, no matter where you go in the world, you're going to face chaotic situations. Where there may seem to be no other way out. At least happily. And I don't know if God likes developing the scenarios of our life to bring about these kinds of impossible situations. But I do know he likes getting us out of them. And I do know one thing more. Except for God, all of life would be an impossible chaos to navigate, right? And the thing I love about our God is that he does not leave us without an anchorless hope. He gives us a hope in the sea of chaos, and the hope is his name still. I am the Lord, the God of Israel. Israel's exodus out of Egypt becomes the landmark deliverance that will forever be the model of hope and deliverance for any time God's people need delivering in the future. It is the beacon event that draws his people back and back again to believing loyalty. In the days of the judges, we, we preached on that a few years back, when the, when the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them over into the hands of the Midianites. It says in Judges chapter 6, verse 7 to 10, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. Anchor point. In the days of Samuel, when the Israelites whined and complained and wanted a king, just like their neighbors had, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, it says, Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says I brought, you out of, I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities, and you have said, no, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. The Psalms are replete. They're full of references back to the Red Sea as God's reminder of his power over the gods of the world and that he alone is king. Psalm 139 even connects creation with Exodus with the Exodus, Psalm one thirty nine, verse one to sixteen. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; His love endures forever. I'll keep some of those. His love endures forever out of here. Give thanks to the Lord of God, to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, to Him who alone does great wonders who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights and the sun to govern the day, the moon and the stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. And it goes on. Even during Israelite, Israel's captivities. Whether it was under Assyrian or Babylonian captivity. God constantly reminds them. Brings them back to that anchor point, point of, of the exodus. He brings. He reminds them through prophets, both major and minor, that he alone is the one who delivered them from the hands of their enemies, the Egyptians, and will do the same here if they will submit to him. It was he that defeated all the gods of Egypt and gave freedom to the son of Israel. Even after the birth of Messiah, when the Roman Herod threatened the, the life of Jesus, Joseph, Mary's husband, not the Joseph of Old Testament, he is told by an angel to take Jesus to Egypt until the death of Herod, to which the gospel writer says in Matthew 2, verse 14 to 15, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, that is Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called Israel. Out of Egypt I now call Jesus. The son is a dual reference to both Israel and Jesus and it is a messianic fulfillment in the book of Acts Stephen is questioned by the Sanhedrin and he tells the gospel of the kingdom of God from when God called Abram and all the way through to Moses and the deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt and then he connects that deliverance out of Egypt with the cross of Jesus and how it delivers us from the slavery to sin Folks, you really should go home tonight and rent the Ten Commandments. Go to Walmart if you have to and buy an old copy. And and then maybe uh, watch The Passion of the Christ or or one of the other Jesus movie depictions. The point is, the Exodus is the ultimate kingdom versus kingdom, God versus God's story. That That beacon event that draws the people of God back again and again and again to believing loyalty through the Scriptures. And it is the anchor story of the story of Jesus and his redemption for us on the cross. And that is why Jesus connected the Passover meal to the Last Supper meal. It is the eternal reminder that God is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and the God of gods, that there is nothing that we, his people, should fear when he is on our side. Right? Nothing. It reminds us that there is a real spiritual battle going on all the time in the midst of chaos. Chaos is a reminder that there's evil in the world and the gods of this world are still at war with us. But that our God is the great God, the Lord of heaven and earth, and he alone does wonders. Amen? So, folks, when you face chaos, remember the name that is above every name and claim it as God's promise to you of his presence. When you're surrounded by chaos, be encouraged. The Lord remembers you, his servant. And when you're hemmed in in the chaos, everything may seem impossible around you, except for God. God can bring you through the chaos. Let's pray. Father, your word is so wonderfully, minutely, cohesive, and complete. It tells of your wonders in the world and the wonders that you performed on behalf of your people. You were the God of covenant promise. And we have just to spend an hour Or a day or a week reading through the entire Bible to see how you did that from beginning to end. From creation to covenants to exodus to Jesus. And we'll continue it some more until the very end of the age. Oh God, there is chaos in this world. The gods of this world are fighting hard to keep the day of the Lord at bay. Because they know that their time is short. They know the Lord is God most high. And they will fight us, your people. They will put chaos in our very steps. And try to rule our lives through chaos. But we will not be in fear of them. We will not be in fear of chaos. We will stand firm in the promises of God our Savior. Lord, redeem your people. Help us to be at work in our life networks to help redeem the people around us so that they too may know of the God who redeems through the chaos. Lord, make us diligent because the time is short and help us to encourage one another and all the more because the time is short. Be with your people today, Lord, as they continue on in your word. Remind them all day long that you, our Lord, are the great exception you bring life and freedom out of chaos and so we trust you and we put our faith in you today and we walk in your way in Jesus name amen